God. You love the Word of God? Let me ask, how many of you have read ahead? You've read ahead through 1 Thessalonians. Well, that's one way to kind of make yourself get in the Word is you know where I'm going and just read ahead and see if you agree with what I say. If you don't, you're wrong, but that's okay. I'm kidding. All right, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to bless this tonight. I'm hungry for the Word. I love the Word. It is my delight. And uh, thank God. Lord, we just thank you right now for the word of the Lord. We need it, Lord, because this earth is a battleground and we need to be strengthened and illuminated by your word. So, Lord, I pray that you will speak directly to every person here. Renew our minds and all of our listeners by radio, by video. Lord, bless them and help us to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good tonight. And then you can, you can uh, be seated. And let's look at this. Boy, I mean, that cool weather came in, didn't it? Now, don't say to me, I'm too cold. I, re- I rejoice in this cold weather. Amen? All right. I'm from New York. We don't like this heat. I'm from New York a long time ago, this high, so don't hold it against me. Now, we're going to look tonight at the Lord's coming and strengthening truth. We're second week, last week in 1 Thessalonians 4, and last time in chapter 3, we looked at a place, a place where Paul wrote from. It was the city of Athens. Isn't it interesting? Today in the news, Athens was in flames. And they're having riots and all that other stuff because of the economy in Greece. And uh, here we are reading about Athens way back in the first century, and it's in deep trouble right now. But then there was a plan. The plan was that Timothy would strengthen the church in Paul's absence. And then Paul gave a plea. And the plea was that the Thessalonians would remain strong under trial. He said, don't cave in. Stay strong. He is with you. And remember last week we talked about how he's going to hold your hands up. As Joshua and Hur held up the hands of Moses, the Lord Jesus holds our hands up. And then there was a plot. And what was the plot? It was a satanic assignment is what I call it. And it was Satan's attempt to overthrow their faith. You know, the devil doesn't, isn't out to give you, uh, oh, I don't know, cause something to go bump in the night or give you a flat tire. That's not what the devil's after. You know what he's after? He's after your faith. I want you to catch that. He wants your faith. That is his target. That's the bullseye. He wants to make you stumble, rethink this stuff, decide that it's not all it was cooked up to be, walk away, give up on God, quit praying, get out of church. He wants to isolate you. Nip at your heels until you drop and then finish the job. That's the devil. And Paul let them know, he said, I'm praying that the plot of Satan, the satanic assignment, does not succeed. Uh, but, But that you overthrow him instead of him overthrowing you. Now, thank God it did not succeed. The Thessalonians became rooted in God's truth with their eye of faith, turned toward the Lord's return. For them, the Lord's return became a stabilizing truth. 
Amen. I'm looking forward for the Lord. Listen, nothing has to happen for the Lord to come back in the rapture. Prophetically, there's not one thing that needs to be fulfilled for that trumpet to blow. It could happen on the way home. It could ha happen when I'm speaking. That is my dream, that I'm preaching the Word and boom! I'm looking at Him. And all of you are there with me. And if that ever happens and you're still sitting here, here's the altar. Come quick. Now this time in chapter 4, we're going to look at how the Lord's return is also a strengthening truth, not just a stabilizing truth, but the knowledge of the Lord's return, the expectation of it is a strengthening truth. Paul is going to lay out some practical teaching in light of the reality of Christ's return. Here's what he's going to talk to us about. Say it with me. Our mighty potential as Christians. Second, our moral purity. Third, our measured progress. He's going to deal with that in chapter 4. All right? Again, fourth, our manifest purpose. And finally, our magnificent prospect. He's going to deal with those five things. Now, let's, uh, and I went backwards, I think. Now let's read verses 1 and 2. Are you ready? Read it with me. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Now notice how Paul taught them how to walk about. The Greek here uh, is just picture somebody walking about, going through normal life, and in your normal walking about, going through life, that you would walk in a way that God can smile on. That your walk would please the Lord and not grieve him, but please him. Now the teachings the Holy Spirit gave to Paul uh, to teach the young Thessalonian church were aimed at showing them how to live in a way that was pleasing to the watchful eye of God. God's always watching. What's the fear of the Lord? Continual awareness that God is watching and weighing in the balances every one of my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. The fear of the Lord is the knowledge of that, continual knowledge of that. He's watching and weighing every one of my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. When I have that continual awareness, I'm walking in the fear of the Lord. So he's teaching them how to behave as Christians. He even taught them eschatology. He taught them so many things. Listen, Paul was a walking, talking seminary. He taught them eschatology, the study of future, last days, prophetic events. So when we talk about the return of the Lord, that's eschatology. We talk about the temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem one day in the near future. That's eschatology, prophetic events. Now, why this? Because as we'll see, the truth about the second coming of Christ spurs the Christian onto holy living. John said that when you have your eye on the return of Christ, it purifies you, even as he is pure. Paul was a teacher. The most profound teacher of spiritual truth in the history of the world, next to Christ himself, was Paul. No doubt about it. I don't exalt him. He wouldn't have exalted himself, and he wouldn't have let us exalt him. But a profound teacher of heavenly revelation, unmatched in the history of the world next to Jesus. That was Paul. In Romans, he taught salvation truth. 
setting before us the principles, problems, and practice of the gospel. But he didn't stop with Romans. In Corinthians, he taught sanctifying truth, warning them about the divisions, disorders, difficulties, and even the disbelief that can plague a local church. But he didn't stop with Romans and Corinthians. In Galatians, he taught separation truth, warning us against legalism on the one hand and license on the other. But he didn't stop there either. In Ephesians, he taught soaring truth, lofty and profound concepts concerning the church as a body, as a building, and as a bride. But he didn't stop there either. In Philippians, he taught stimulating truth about joy in suffering, sacrifice, service, and sickness. And in Colossians, he taught very sobering truth, the truth about Christ, truth about cults, the truth about the Christian. And then in Hebrews, and, I, and no question in my mind, Paul wrote Hebrews. I know that's a controversy out there. It's not with me. It sounds like him, feels like him. It had to have been him. In Hebrews, he taught sanctuary truth, how Judaism is now obsolete and has been replaced by better things because we have a better Savior, a better sacrifice, a better sanctuary, a better security, a better spokesman, and a better society. As a matter of fact, the number one word in Hebrews is better. I can tell that thrills y'all. But that's true. Hey, we're in a better thing. Amen? Now, this and much, much more poured from the mouth of Paul to his young and eager converts. He established them in the truth. And may God help us to be established in the truth. And it was the truth that held them firm and steady in the face of relentless persecution. They faced it every day. The truth is what made them mighty, invincible warriors for the cause of Christ. Now next, Paul delves into the whole topic of moral purity. And here we go, because this is a difficult one in our day because we live in such a depraved culture. You are aware we're living in a very depraved culture. Well, can I tell you, it's no more depraved than Corinth was. It's no more depraved than some of the cities that were back there in the first century. The only thing that we have that they didn't have is internet, all the avenues through which moral filth flows. We didn't have some of those avenues, but boy, it was morally filthy in Corinth. Now, it's likely that when Timothy returned with the overall good news of the Thessalonians' faith, that he also reported a downside. There was yet a degree of immorality among them. Okay, what are we going to do about that, Paul? Well, as I've already said, the Greek culture was highly promiscuous. It gave wide approval to all forms of sexual misbehavior. There wasn't any sexual misbehavior. It did not uh, amen. Homosexuality was rampant. Alexander the Great was bisexual. The Greek culture was very promiscuous because it did not have any connection to the true and living God. It had philosophy, but it didn't have God. All of its philosophy never led it to God. So they were disconnected from the life of God, the Spirit of God, and the truth of God. They did not have it. The notion that extramarital sex was wrong was totally foreign to the Greek mind. They never even thought about it. Hence the need for Paul to write 
in order to renew their minds with the washing of water by the word of God. Now, where did this word he's giving us come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay, now look at verse three. Read this with me, can you? For this is the will of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know his will now. People are always say, oh, I wish God would show me his will. We're reading it right here. This is the will of God. Okay, your sanctification, you being set aside, all right? Set aside for God's purposes. That you should abstain from fornication, sexual immorality. Now, what in the world is fornication? Well, I'm going to get to that in just a second, but let's look at this for a minute. We all enjoy positional sanctification as children of God. We have been declared saints the minute we got saved. You're a saint in the eyes of God. Because you did something? No. But because the blood did it for you. The blood covered your sin, all of your sin. And so the minute you said, Jesus, come into my heart, I embrace you as my Savior and Lord, he did, and you were immediately washed white as snow, and he declares you to be a saint, a sanctified holy one through the finished work of Christ. So when God looks at you, I say this a lot, but I'll say it again tonight, it's good stuff. He sees you through red-tinted sun glasses. All right, S-O-N glasses. That's, God's always wearing sun glasses. When he looks at you and me, he sees the blood. When he looks at you and me, he sees his son. All right, so that's positional sanctification. But there is also practical sanctification, which is God's demand upon us that we as his children separate ourselves from evil things and evil ways. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't tell me you're saved and tell me you're still doing what you used to do. There's just no way. Now, I'm not saying you're perfect. And I'm not saying you don't stumble. And I'm not saying you don't mess up. And I'm sure not here to condemn anybody. But I'm saying if you got saved, born again, there is immediately going to be a change in your life. Because if any man be in Christ, he is five years later a new creature. No, he is right then a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed away and all has become new. The first ministry of the Holy Spirit is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. He begins to call us out of the evil of this world. And he separates us. That's why you'll begin to experience the Holy Spirit saying when, when you get saved, you need some new friends. You need to quit going there. You need to quit doing that. You need to quit reading that. You need to, I'm calling you to a new life a new walk, new friendships, new relationships, new things to read. I mean, all becomes new. So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not your work or my work. That's the immediate work of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's something we are to diligently pursue, and that's sanctification. It's made possible for us by the mighty indwelling Spirit of God. We could not ever remove ourselves from the evil of this world without the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how people make it without the Holy Spirit. I don't know how I would handle being out there right now, lost with what's going on in this world. No wonder they're smoking something, drinking something, shooting something, doing something to... to, to numb their brains from what they're seeing 
and experiencing. It's only going to get worse for the world. It's going to get better for us. Okay? Now, let's go back just for a second. Um, The indwelling Spirit of God is how we are sanctified. And then the word for fornication is pornea. And pornea includes prostitution, adultery, and any and all kinds of premarital sex. That's, that's fornication. Fornication is, a, is, is a, 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 a sexual word that fits all sexual sin. It's not just sex before marriage, but all sexual sin is covered by pornea. Okay? No sin is more destructive to the family, more dangerous to health, or more debilitating to spiritual life than is fornication or sexual sin of any kind. And being that I'm talking about this, I'm going to shoot real straight and say tonight, this includes homosexuality, it includes lesbianism, it includes bestiality, it includes everything. All right? It's an equal opportunity word covering all sexual sin. Now here comes the message of God to his church. And he says, it's destructive. And when people say, well, God is just a killjoy. He doesn't want me having fun. No, he doesn't want you destroyed. So watch this now. The Holy Spirit warns, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Because God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Well, that covers all sexual sin. And sex before marriage is immorality. Homosexuality is immorality. Lesbianism is immorality. According to the Word of God. Well, you're just a hater, Pastor Jeff. No, I'm not a hater. That's stupid. That is propaganda. If I'm a doctor and I find a cancer in you and I don't tell you a thing about it, because I love you, is that love? No, if I let you walk out of there having seen it on the x-ray and don't tell you, I despise you. So if I say that heterosexual sex before marriage is wrong, do I hate the heterosexual? Of course not. If I tell a thief that theft is wrong, do I hate the thief? Of course not. So you can't propagandize me with this stuff. It's pure propaganda put out by those who want to normalize what God calls sin. And that's what it is. Now, every believer must learn to control his body in sexual matters. That's what Paul says. Look at verses 4 and 5. That each of you should learn to control your own body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's the way that world out there lives. What drives them? The passion of lust. What do they live for? The passion of lust. But Paul says, not you. Not now that you've been saved. That is not your motivation. That should not be what you're about. But you ought to learn to control your body. Now, don't go to play. How do do you do it? Well, it's real simple. As a matter of fact, that verse is not real complicated to obey when you stop and think about it. You know what you can and what you cannot handle. You know where you can go and can't go. You know what you can look at and can't look at. 
So he says, learn to control your own body. Well, don't go to places that will weaken you. Don't date people that don't have a 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 4 conviction. Hello. Just because they're in church doesn't mean they've got a 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 4 conviction. <laughs> I hear some of you thinking to yourself, I wish I'd have stayed home tonight. <laughs> now listen, I'm going to tell you, God does this for our, our own good. He does it for our protection. But, but listen, if, you start see, if you're single and you start seeing somebody and they start saying, hey, uh, you know, it ain't about time we got to know each other a little more intimately than this, then you know they don't have a 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 4 conviction. And for me, that's very telltale. Now watch. In fact, don't date anyone you can't imagine marrying. Why bother? Why go on a date with somebody you can't imagine yourself saying, I do with? Someday, I mean, you're not, don't go out with somebody that you can't at least have a, as a prospect. Why bother? Well, because I'm lonely. I'm kind of bored. I just want to have a date. Listen, why? Date, now I know this sounds easy to say, but date Jesus. Just get to know Jesus. And, and, and I would ask somebody right up front, where, where do you stand? with fornication. Where do you stand on these things that are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Just ask them right out front. Ask them. Where do you stand? Well, hey, this is our first date, man. I didn't mean mean to get this. (laughs) Ask them right out front. Because if that's not where they are, you don't need to be going out with them. Don't look at things, don't look at things that are going to light the fire of lust. I mean, hello? Be smart and wise about this issue. Focus on the things of the Spirit. I said focus on the things of the Spirit. Get get into a strong church that feeds you the Word of God. And run around only with people that love the Lord. Why would you hook up with people that don't honor God? Why? You're only going to get in trouble. You're going to regret it. What fellowship does light have with darkness? I mean, what fellowship does Satan have with Christ? None. So we've got to be smart about this. You can't run with people that don't have godly convictions and expect to not get burned. You will get burned. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You get burned. I mean, we've got to be smart about this. I was very lonely in college. Let me tell you, I had no friends because my college was a party school. And they were all partying hopping in the sack with each other. I mean, that's the way my college was. I'm not going to tell you the college that it was. It's near here. There was a party school. And I'd go in there and I had my convictions and I'd already made up my mind how I was going to walk and live. And I'm going to tell you, it was a, a battle and a warfare, but my mind was made up. You've got to be preemptive with this. You've got to make up your mind now. See, all right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4 is to me from the Holy Spirit. And so with God's help and God's grace, this is the way I'm going to live. Now, instead of living for lust like the world does, live for the Lord. You're either living for lust or you're living for the Lord. It's that simple. Instead of giving your bodies to sin, dedicate them to the Lord. Look at what Paul said in Romans 12. I plead with you to give your bodies, not just your soul for salvation, but your body to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. How do I worship God? Well, I worship God with my hands raised and singing to him in church. That's one way you worship him. I believe you worship him with tithing. There's many ways to worship him, but here's another way. When you give your body to God, it is an act of worship. Paul goes even further to say that immorality is a sin against God the Son. And this is about to get real strong, but I'm just teaching you the Word of God. I'm just teaching you the Word of God, but this is about to get strong because the Bible gets strong about it. So everybody ready? Say amen. amen. Now look what he says. Immorality is against God the Son, and God the Son will avenge it. Verse 6 to 7. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The King James says defraud. Defraud is when you excite a desire in somebody that you can't righteously satisfy. That's what it is. He says, I don't want you to take advantage of a brother or sister in this. The Lord will punish all of those who commit such sins. Who will do it? And what will he do? He'll punish. Wow. He'll punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. Now, here's these Thessalonians. They're sitting here. They've gotten saved. They've gotten filled with the Spirit. They've gotten water baptized. And all of a sudden, here comes this heavy word about immorality. And I mean, Paul is cleaning shop because some of them were still living in it. So, I mean, he couldn't be any more clear than this right here. He said, he said the Lord will punish, he'll avenge those who cross that line Listen carefully. God draws the line beyond which we are not to go. He gives, he gives um, parameters in life, like you do with your children. You say, you can play out front, but you can't cross the street. If I see you cross the street, I'm going to whoop you, and I hope I'm out there to see it, because if you cross it and I'm not there and don't have time to get to you, you could be run over. We give our children parameters. We give them guidelines. And you know what it does for that child? Makes them feel secure. My dad, my mom loved me enough to give me guidelines and parameters and lines in the sand that I can't cross. And why do they do it? For my own protection. I don't want to see you run over by a car. Don't want to see it. So he draws lines for us. And the line is simple. Here it is. No sex outside of marriage. To go beyond this is to defraud somebody. Defraud comes from a Greek word which means literally to step over, like stepping over a line. It carries the idea of crossing over a forbidden frontier. God has written, no trespassing over every man or woman who is not one's own wife or husband. There's a sign on anybody's body that is not your spouse, no trespassing. God put it there. He said, well, I don't believe that. This is a new day. That's old-fashioned. Well, go ahead. You'll find out how old-fashioned it is. Go ahead. You'll find out that it's not a matter of old-fashioned. It's a matter of God's truth spans the generations. God's truth spans civilizations and cultures. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth is truth is truth. So, he's done even more than that. He's also posted trespassers will be prosecuted. 
Oh, man. I can just hear the email coming when this goes on the air. The Bible says the Lord becomes the avenger in this case. Isn't that what it said? I mean, I'm just reading it to you. That's what the Bible said, didn't it? The Lord will become the avenger. Well, wow, I don't know about this Christianity stuff. That doesn't sound like much fun to me. But haven't you seen what people go through when they walk in promiscuity? Haven't you seen it? Enough to know that, that God gave us these lines in the sand to protect us so that we wouldn't feel used, abused, taken advantage of. I love you, baby. If you, if you love me, you will. And then you go ahead, and then he's gone in a month or less to the next conquest. Now watch this. The Lord Jesus himself is the one who deals out judgment to those who transgress God's moral laws. Jesus does it. That's what the Bible said. Jesus did it. Both sternness and severity are involved, as well as the goodness and grace of God following repentance. God forgives, and God is gracious. And he will wash you white as snow. But punishment for sexual sin is formidable. Now, as I go over this, I am not saying that God himself gave somebody an STD or gave somebody AIDS. Here's what I really believe about it. I believe that when you cross a line, you open the door in your life to the enemy to attack, to attack you. And it's not the Lord that does these things to you. I don't think he says, well, I'm giving that one AIDS. He doesn't do that. But when you cross that line, it's like when that child says, I don't care what mom and dad said, I'm crossing the street. And here comes the car. Mom and dad didn't send the car. The car was coming. But if you had done what mom and dad said, you'd be on the other side of the street and the car would pass you by and you would not be affected by it. But if you step into that street and that car strikes you, it's not mom and dad's fault and mom and dad did not send the car. Right? But here's some of the things that sexual sin, I know, brings guilt, loss of self-respect, exposure to shame, feeling used, spit out, taken advantage of, lied to. Uh, it might take the form of STDs, like there, there's 33 goodies out there now. Last time I read, 33 of them. And, and do you know that if you went back to before 1960, there was like three the sexual revolution of the 60s gave us at least 30 STDs that didn't exist before the 60s. They multiply, they produce, they spawn. Sexual sin spawns these things. The car coming down the road. AIDS. Herpes. Those are ones that you can't get rid of. AIDS, take your life. Herpes, lifelong, whatever form it takes. The Lord gives the solemn warning that sexual sins will be punished. There, there are consequences. Okay? Don't let the seemingly carefree world fool you. They, they lie. The media lies to you. They lie to you. They'll take people who are killing themselves and glamorize them on television. Charlie Sheen, look at Charlie Sheen. What a train wreck. What a tragic individual who needs Christ badly. And yet, I, I saw last week, them, they did some story on him, kind of glamorizing him and 
and patting him on the back and acting like everything's okay with good old Charlie. The man is on a fast track to suicide. But the media will lie to you. They'll cover up. They'll, they'll paint a totally false picture of the consequences of sin. They'll cover them up and won't tell you what happens to these people behind closed doors. They're liars. They have an agenda. Their agenda is an immoral agenda, a godless agenda, a secular agenda, a, a, an agenda that does not include Christ or the Bible or absolute truth. So they'll hide the consequences that people experience because of sin. But there will be punishment, and immorality, says Paul, is also a sin against the Holy Spirit, because therefore, he says in verse 8, therefore, anyone who rejects the instruction, or this instruction, is not rejecting a human being, meaning, meaning himself, Paul, but he's rejecting God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. What's he saying? The Holy Spirit gave me this to give to you. This came from the Holy Spirit, not Paul. If you reject this, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting the Holy Spirit's word to you. I know it's not easy. There's no way it's easy, especially in this culture. Everywhere you look, it is sex-saturated. Everywhere. Man, you've got to get into a strong church. You've got to live in the Word of God. You've got to pray and walk with Jesus close. And you've got to run with the right people and not the wrong people. And I'm telling you, God will sanctify you and preserve you and keep you and bless you. And the day will come when you will look back and say, thank God I walked in purity and didn't go off the way my friends did because they're suffering now and I'm not. God sees all men as being either in Adam or in Christ. In Adam, we're controlled by the fall. In Christ, we're controlled by the call. If controlled by the impact of the fall, we obey the dictates of a ruined nature. But if we're controlled by the call, we obey the dictates of a redeemed nature. If you're in Christ tonight, you're after the call, not after the fall. Amen? You're a part of the call, not a part of the fall. All right? How many of you are called? Okay? So the called are to be ruled by a redeemed nature. Those that are of the fall are ruled by a ruined nature. Now, in our daily lives, through our character, conduct, and conversation, we exhibit either the results of the fall or the results of the call. And I'm stuck there. There we go. Okay, so Paul says to the Thessalonians and to us, you are children of the call. So walk accordingly. Can you say with me, I'm a child of the call. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. That's good news. Okay. But concerning verse, okay, love says Paul, love says Paul is the most important thing of all. He sets love in stark contrast to lust by showing us what love taught. Verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Amen? You're taught by God. The Holy Spirit's teaching you. You know what he's teaching you? Love each other. But now, it's interesting, he does not use the familiar agape here. He uses Philadelphia, brotherly love. 
to underline the kind of love that believers are to demonstrate toward each other. So he's gone from sexual sin, which is not an act of love, to talking about love. And he says, I want you to have brotherly love instead of hurting each other through things like sexual sin. I want you to walk in brotherly love. And this is what you're to demonstrate toward each other. Brotherly love. I care about you. Um, I'm just losing that up there. I don't know what's wrong. And note how Paul says that God himself taught them in their personal walk with him to love one another in this way. He's saying, you don't need it for me to teach you. God has taught you. He's teaching you to love each other. His point is, don't hurt each other like the world hurts one another. But love each other. And that's the call on the church. Love each other. Not only are we shown what love taught. Uh, I'm getting a little, there we go. But also what love wrought. Let's look at what love wrought. Can't do anything with this. There we go. No, I need the verse. Okay, there we go, verse 10. And indeed, can we go back? There we go. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more in what? In love. Not only do they abide in love, but they abounded in love. Love is never content with what it's given, with what it has already given. It must always give more. Love does not set limits. That's what he's saying. You're abiding in love, now abound in love. Now let me ask you a million dollar question tonight. When you look at the church across the entire horizon, the whole spectrum of church life, do you see a whole lot of love? Do you? I mean, do you see love? I mean, we see some love, don't we? It kind of depends on who they are and how long they've walked with God and if Christianity has took with them or not. But doesn't the, the church a lot eat each other alive like cannibals, slander each other, malign each other, gossip against each other? And Paul is saying, listen, Thessalonians, you've been abiding in love and God has taught you to love. Now I want you to abound in that love. And I want it to increase more and more and more in brotherly affection. Where the first thing on your mind is, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm going to do my best to not offend you, to not hurt you in any way. If what I'm doing is offending you, then bless God, unless it's just totally unreasonable and you're asking me like to never eat red meat again, I can't go there. But if, if something I'm doing is offending you and I can put it away, I'll put it away rather than hurt you. See, I'll give up the whole worldly teaching on sexual sin, sexual promiscuity. I'll give it all up that the Holy Ghost can sanctify me and so that I won't hurt you. But beyond that, I'm going to walk in brotherly love where I'm thinking, now, is this going to hurt the church? Is this going to hurt my friend in Christ? Then I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be thinking of you and not just me. And that is really, really important in the body of Christ. And this is how we're to live. So they were told, don't set limits, but abound in love towards one another. Love has no quotas. It's like Niagara Falls. It never ceases to pour itself out. It is indefatigable. 
I can't believe I said that without messing up. It is indefatigable. It doesn't grow weary. That's Jesus' love. It doesn't give up. It doesn't walk away. Amen? Now next time we're going to talk about our manifest purpose, purpose and our manifest prospect. Let's stand together, can we? Thank you, Lord. Amen. God is good? Everybody happy? All right. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you right now for your blessing with us tonight. We thank you for the word of the Lord that we would be set aside, sanctified, set apart by you for your purposes. And we pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus that you will lead and guide each person here. Now, right now, before we dismiss, I want to encourage you to take a minute as we just stand here in the presence of God. Say, Lord, I heard a lot of truth tonight. I heard some difficult things tonight. But I receive your grace to empower me to walk in it. To walk in it. If there's anything you need to put under the blood and say, Lord, forgive me that I've strayed there. I tell you that God will forgive you. God will wash you. God will fill you with his spirit afresh and anew. And he'll put you right back on the right road. So Father, we do ask you to help us to come into line with the word that we've heard. We know that by the Spirit of God, we can do all things through Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your help. Thank you for making us smart when it comes to sexual sin, wise. Thank you for the ability to have self-control and to walk in the Spirit. Thank you for filling us with love that we don't have naturally. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Sing it with me, everybody.